Namaste, motherfuckers. Whoa, that was loud. And welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 80. Oh, dear. 80 something? I meant to check that before I got started, but oh well, we're here now. It's Daniel Klein. Daniel Klein, my neighbor, who is also a carpenter and also a gardener and also very involved in uh, transformation of the republic on a city-state and federal level in any way that he can be. And he also just started a little gardening consultation business called Marigold, which you can find on Facebook. And I've, I've been con- consulting with him ever since I saw him out in front of his house a block away from me, uh, tending to his chickens and his plants. And I've had uh, corn envy ever since he planted some blue corn in the easement along uh, Randall Avenue that really grew tall and thick. It's like eight feet, nine feet tall over there. Kind of impressive. And he's got these great chickens, and he gives me fresh eggs from the chickens, and then he's come over here. And actually, after we did this podcast last time, we hung out and played guitar and in the studio over here and, and jammed. And It's a new all-around good buddy. And uh, we also had what I think is probably one of the most... Um, constructive cross-generational conversations about politics on this podcast. And it it goes on for three hours. So I'm only giving you half of it now. Um, But I think it's worth posting the whole thing because it was such a civil conversation between people who maybe see things a little bit... I mean, we don't see the um, heart of the matter differently. I agree with Daniel's politics 100%. I have changed my method over the years and having had the experience of trying to make things happen fast and very willfully and very forcefully blow up in my face and not generate lasting results and kind of what I feel like create more harm than good. And then having had the experience of really persistently wearing away at something, you know, spending a long time just kind of you know, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, one step at a time, and all of that, which, if you know me, you know what I'm talking about on sort of a certain, you know, kind of framework level, um, specifically related to recovery, but that, you know, the, that that overall experience of having to take something one day at a time and to really get my house in order and see that I am not a producer of confusion rather than harmony in the people around me and my immediate sphere of influence and to start to see my life as like, you know, the stone landing in the pond and the ripples coming out from that and really, you know, believing that's a real thing, that that's a major form of action is, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, being the peace, you know, bringing about peace by being peace. I got a long fucking way to go because there are times where I'm not peaceful and it, and that happens before I even have a chance to realize what's going on. I, I react and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I got my trauma, you know, I'm not here to dump my purse out on the table, but you know, just to talk about this stuff, why the conversation went the way it did, why I am coming from the angle I'm coming from and where Daniel's coming from. And that to make very clear that although I am playing, I'm kind of throwing some hard questions at him, some hard balls, you know, about being young and being very insistent that things have to change now. I think these are legitimate questions and I think he handled them very well and and we 
I think we both learned something and and it was a conversation I needed to have about it because that's that's the thing that has lately really just kind of stuck in my craw like how do you I didn't know shit when I was 23 years old I didn't know shit when I was 28 years old I look back at that guy and I'm like that dude had a very small I mean snapshot of what of the you know the broad context of like human civilization and American Republic and all of that stuff you know I mean and I had I was a very passionate liberal and I still am a passionate liberal left leaning kind of person but I also see the value in the right I see why there's a lot more to why people vote along conservative lines and Republican lines than that they're ignorant rednecks that they're white supremacists or they're some kind of crazy Christian religious zealots there are people who just kind of feel like, wow, you know, we constantly keep giving money to the government and they waste it. And they don't do a good job as stewards of this tax money that they're getting. And maybe I don't want to pay them anymore. Maybe we should just shrink this whole thing. I don't agree with that. But I can see the reason in it. And I don't need to demonize the people that feel that way. I, I, I can connect with them as human beings and understand what their concerns are and what their priorities are and why, without having to say, no, they just don't want people to have health care because they're mean. You know, I don't see it that way. And if I can see what their concerns are, what their, you know, pain points are, what really matters to them, then perhaps I can sell them my ideas. And we talk about this a lot. Yeah, it's great if you passionately believe in something but it's still a belief is just a belief it's kind of like a mystical spiritual experience you can't push it across the table at somebody and say you now must believe what i believe it don't work that way so if you're dealing with somebody that does not see things that way hasn't had the kind of revelation you have and um, whether it's on a spiritual level or on a philosophical political level if they haven't had that and you want them to you know to come over to where you are and experience what you've experienced and taste what, you know, if you think you're enlightened because you're on the left and you want someone else to share that, then you got to sell it to them somewhat. And the selling of it is kind of paradoxically much more about demonstrating instead of demonstrating in the streets with signs, perhaps demonstrating in your life how your principles have benefited the, you and the people around you. And making it attractive. You know, a lot of this stuff comes back to things that I've just learned over the last 10 years. I mean, the slogan, attraction, not promotion, that I've heard somewhere. You know, when people are trying to force feed me some shit, no matter how good it is for me, I don't want to fucking eat it. You know, I don't want it. You got to make, you got to put the delicious feast out for people and let them come to it. You know, and I, that is the way I would much rather convert people who based on their experiences and what they know and their limited experience of life that have chosen people like Donald Trump and want to be on the right. I would much rather have the revolution of changing their minds rather than demonizing them and just saying they're beyond recall. They're (laughs) worthless. I, I, and it's not about them. It's about me. I don't want to believe I or anyone else can't be changed can't grow can't evolve i know that much has changed in my life and since in the you know fairly late in it already at middle aged and if i can change anybody can so that's where i'm coming from i so 
I really appreciate Daniel's being able to sit here and talk to me about things that he's very passionate about and not feel like insulted or slighted or, you know, demeaned by it. He, that he, I think, you know, we did have a foundation of friendship, so he knows I respect him and admire him and really think everything that he's doing is awesome. So, you know, we kind of had, you know, he could give me the benefit of the doubt <laughs> like of asking these questions. But, I mean, I just, you know, in my, the last... Another thing that's been a big part of my life is trying to share something in my in my work world, which I think we get into that I think is valuable. You know, I'm not I'm not selling snake oil. Like I represent a company that I think provides a valuable service, and not everyone that I speak to sees it that way. So, and and yet I know it's true. And just because they don't see it that way, um, that doesn't mean it's not true, and that they're not seeing it that way is accurate. And there has to be a gentle and persuasive way that I could get them to see the benefit in this. And, you know, the, the, the gray sort of boring sort of antiseptic way to talk about this is sales. And I talk about selling the idea. But, you know, this is a real thing. Like getting, being able, I mean, I, I, I used to be totally against marketing and advertising and all forms of publicity and communication for products because I thought they basically inherently meant that you had to lie and manipulate people and you had to misrepresent something that you were representing. But over time I've realized there are valuable brands, valuable products, valuable ideas that people would be, you know, would benefit from and would enjoy and they don't know about them. So how do I tell them about them? And sometimes they might think they know about them or know something contrary to them and might not be right. So how do I, I mean, my job is figuring out how to get that across. And so it's changed my perspective a whole lot. I can't say, all right, you don't, you don't see the value of the company I work for? Well, fuck you, my man. No, I mean, I'm trying to convert this person. It's actually a statistic in my job is my conversion rate and the conversion rate of the people that I manage. And I think conversion is extremely valuable, but it really is a extremely delicate task and it is a task that needs to be done with love even in work and in business and and love to me is not some namby-pamby thing like sticking a daisy in the barrel of a rifle it is recognizing it is the way that you love a flawed child you you know the way that you love a person in, in toto and you see their their whole the whole picture of them and you're able to have compassion and understanding for that which is problematic about them and you know all of this stuff comes back to the self like if I can be that way towards others and be that way towards myself I can be the peace you know forgiveness is not letting the other person off the hook it is creating peace inside me and where I come from when I'm at peace is way better than where I come from when I'm angry and resentful I accomplish more. I'm a better friend, a better family member, a better employee, a better uh, member of the community. All of those things when I am able to have some humility and see I'm just part of a bigger thing and I need to do my part in it. And sometimes people around me might break into cars and steal shit. They might steal Daniel's shit, which happened. You know, he got his tools stolen out of his truck. I can't have the attitude, those people got to go. Those people kind of should be shot on sight. You know, it's... You know, that that means I should be shot on sight for any transgression. And I got them. I got transgressions. I got fucking dirty laundry in my past. And I've done my best to amend it and make it right. But, you know, I did. I have done wrong. And, like, I need to 
be able to forgive myself and I need to be able to forgive others. And that makes me a better person. It has nothing to do with that other person. You know, the Dalai Lama says this about compassion. You know, it's not for the Chinese that he it, that he has compassion. He has compassion for the Chinese on their on his own behalf, so that he doesn't have to go around hating them for kicking him out of his homeland. You know, and that's because it's uncomfortable to go around hating people. It's uncomfortable to go out ang- around angry and enraged, and it also makes you in an extremely reactive undisciplined person who has a hard time managing their own life. This is just a really practical thing. It's not a namby-pamby hippie thing. It's like what's skillful, as the Buddhists say. What is the more skillful way of approaching problems? In in an insane fucking fury? Or with some level of like composure, calmness, and detachment? That's what forgiveness allows you to do. Instead of feeding your righteous indignation, which does not make you a particularly thoughtful or reasonable person instead of feeding that thing that makes you unreasonable you forgive and you have compassion because that makes you much smarter and more capable of accomplishing the things that you need to accomplish and you want to accomplish and it makes you more capable of being the peace in your world so that's where I'm coming from and uh yeah I've been trying to get back on this and I don't know how many times I've started podcasting I'm trying to get back on this but here we are like five years into this and style getting a little blurb about it was not a very well-written blurb but there's no such thing as bad publicity and you know i'm just doing this i'm not doing this for money i don't make any money on it but i i want to get across things that i think are valuable so this is my part these the people i've met and the people i know in richmond i think are valuable i'd like more people to know about them and the things that i've learned in my um, travels, I'd like more people to know about them. So this is just a purely altruistic thing, and I hope you get something good out of it, and I hope you enjoy part one of my conversation with Daniel Klein. And if you do, there is a YouTube donate button. If you do want to help, you know, practice Dana, which is just the, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, what's the word, demonstration of value, that you value this thing, it would be appreciated. Um and that is on the Tantric Conversation page, www.tantricconversation.com. And, uh, you know, I got a, um, also I'm on iTunes. And I think the RSS feed goes to a lot of other podcast apps. So find it where you can. My name is Curtis Payne, in case you didn't know that. That is my name. I'm hardly a man about town, though. I uh, really am more of a homebody these days. But <clears throat> every once in a while, I'll go out and check something out. So, um engage with me if you're listening to this podcast if you just come to it from having seen that style write up this is an undisciplined unedited you know warts and all conversation between people and it's not an interview it's it's not uh you know a produced show like this american life we are just talking i got the idea from mark Marin, wtf you know and i just thought i'll adapt it to richmond and that's what we do and uh if please feel free to engage on it, you can leave comments on the actual website. Um, I do have a Twitter thing. Um, if you look up Tantric Conversation, you'll see it. I think it's CRPJR. I'm not sure. I have Instagram. Comment. Um, get involved. I, this is meant to be a conversation, and hopefully, even if it's an argument, a respectful one, like the one we and me and Daniel have. So, all right, let's get into it. I'm a big fan. All right. So, yeah, we're rolling. I'm just going to get on into it. 
and I think yeah I've got mm-hmm. I've got the little signal that's showing that something's happening here and <laughs> <clears throat> take a little sip of my coffee so you we, we can start talking about your Daniel we I don't introduce people during this part I introduce them in the preview or the uh <clears throat> intro got that's it. what I'm trying to say I haven't done this in a while so I'm hey man a little tongue-tied a little mold Moldy. There's mold on me. <laughs> I'm a moldy oldie. You know, I just I was soaking black beans to make beans, uh-huh. and I I just have been too busy, so I didn't do it on day one, and it's day two, and they smell like they're going off. Mm-hmm. They smell like they're fermenting. Oh yeah, and I'm like, they don't smell like poop. They don't smell all. bad, but they definitely smell like they're going off. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I don't make enough money to throw away beans, so I'm gonna cook it. So you just, you just soaked them for two days, is what you said? Yeah, and I guess it's just the starch starts. Just to... rinse them. I did. Yeah. Um, I think if you rinse, that's the whole idea is that it pulls some of that. Funk off. Uh-huh. I mean, they're a little bit now like pre-fermented, which will be fun. Probiotic. Mm-hmm. If I don't mm-hmm. die. If I die, it'll be a bummer. But if I don't die, they'll be delicious. I shouldn't kill you. I was just gonna, might give you really bad gas, but the. <laughs> don't they already? <laughs> well, the soaking is supposed to stop that. I mean, my girlfriend it lives in Harrisonburg, so I don't have to worry about mm. f- being gassy. But you know, I up. actually have a special alarm, like safeguard on my sphincter that does not allow me to pass gas around women, even sleeping. Really? <laughs> Is that true? It wakes me up. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Is that it's genetic? the fart fartometer? Have you ever asked your like dad that. if he has the same? I it, I have not asked him. I never really knew how to broach the subject with him, but. You got to come straight. I've out noticed with it. that every time somebody spends the night with me, I will wake up with my butt clenched, like, I'm, and it and it won't let me release. Has your therapist waited? It's on the it? most relieving thing in the world when the girl goes, "I gotta go. T- I gotta go walk my dog." And I'm like, Whew. "You've heard the joke, though." <laughs> is it the joke? Oh God! It's like, is it a deaf man? I gotta remember the joke. It's like something about like a. Uh, it's something like um, it's like a surprise birthday party. Do you know about this? I, I no. I, I'll I'll butcher it. You can skip it. Okay. It's like a, a guy comes into his, his house. Do you want to look it up on your phone? Are, yeah, while we're talking. Yeah. See if the deaf man joke. So I, maybe I will introduce you a little bit. This is my friend Daniel, who was also my neighbor, and I accosted him one day when he was out. Uh, in his garden because I'd driven by and seen all of these raised beds and chickens and all this stuff and I was wanting to dabble in that myself so I also thought he was somebody I might know because there are all of these elusive people that I do know that live in this neighborhood that don't acknowledge that I've moved into this neighborhood oh, really? they have not brought me over a pie or a casserole or nothing right I'm like hey I, uh, Bill, I bought Bill Walker's house I live in the neighborhood now and they're like yeah, I heard that. You got to bring you got to uh you got to bring the pies. Bring the pies. You got to show up with the pies and be like I'm in the neighborhood, here's a pie. Mm. And then you I start, think that's how it's going to have to be. I mean, but then it's good cuz you sort of start off on a good foot. Mm-hmm. If you don't like them, you can bring them like a fermented black bean pie. Well, these are old friend acquaintances like bar friends. Oh, from, really? Yeah. Yeah, like call them out. Back hey, in the day. I'm in the neighborhood. Come hang. I've tried yeah, too you, busy. You want to egg their house? Everybody's too busy. Maybe. 
I mean, is are the Tinas producing enough eggs for three or four? Did I'm you getting, find that joke? No, I didn't find the joke. Three or four eggs a piece a day? I'm or? Getting, no, one a day. One a day. Chickens are. Hmm. Daniel has chickens. I got four chickens, three of which are laying right now, and they're all named Tina. They're all the Tinas, and then one of them is uh, Broody. She's uh, she's not laying. She's taking a break. Does she want to get her neck broke and get eaten? Because that's what you do if they stop laying. I know. I told them that, and they mm-hmm. ignored it. But, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's a lot of energy for them to lay an egg. I mean, it's imagine, like, basically they're on their period but once a day. Right, Because right. they pass an egg. It's ovulating. They ovulate once a day. Mm-hmm. So if you think once a month is tough, which it is, once a day is these girls are exhausted. And so they usually start laying around 20 weeks. And they usually lay for about a year to 18 months. Then they take a break. Then they molt. They, they shed some of their feathers, grow new feathers, and start up again. And then they sort of, uh, they're like the breed that uh, I have, they're called Golden Comets, mm-hmm. which is great. Be a good name for an indie band. And uh, Golden Comets. And, mm-hmm. uh, but so they're heavy layers. That's like they're bred because they lay a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, more th- like some birds are good for. For they gain a lot of weight and they're they're called broilers or roasters mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, these are heavy layers, and then some are hybrids, which are really cool, like a Prius. Mm-hmm. You get some. There's a one called a Buff Orpington, and they're really cool. They they're good layers. They're consistent, like five eggs a week typically. But they also gain a lot of weight, and you can you can eat them if you need to. So mm-hmm. these girls are really lean and mean, and they. They're sweet, but they just they lay eggs. They're not good to roast. There's just not a lot of meat on them. Oh, really? So they burn out sooner. They lay seven eggs a day, except one of them's taking a break. So they wouldn't taste. They're not going to taste good. They're going to taste great. They're just not going to have a lot of meat. Ah. So like you could make a really hearty stock with them, and I probably will invest. I kind of like stuff. those chicken wings that don't have a lot of meat on them. Mm-hmm. So it's more breading because the the fatter chicken wings is too much meat. I'm not really in fried chicken for the meat. You're not. You're in for skin. Yeah. You're in for skin? I'm in for skin. I would say that I think... I grew up in a household where my parents are both doctors. Mm-hmm. And my dad is health conscious to the to the point where, like, we were told that you shouldn't eat the skin. And it wasn't until I was, like, 20-something that I was like, wait a second, this that's delicious. Mm-hmm. What the hell am I doing? So... Well, you know, the school has been in and out on consuming animal fat as if, you know... They be- people have believed that it immediately turns into human fat from eating fat, which is highly unlikely because it's it's yeah. broken down into yeah. Your body needs lipids. I mean, your right. body needs a, a healthy diet of a lot of things. I mean, the answer here, pe- doctors hate saying this. Diet people hate saying this. Moderation, right? What Michael Pollan says. Eat have you heard food. his quote? Eat not too much, mostly plants. Yeah. Yeah, occasionally I eat a Tina. Eat it, yeah. Yeah. So right now they I've had them for over a, a little over a year. So they're still laying, but I anticipate that they might all take a little break. Hopefully they'll stagger it. I hope I can partake in the uh, chicken dinner when that happens. Oh yeah, I'll ceremonially. I don't really need to get fed I, it, per se. Like, I mean, I'm I'll not, let you. Yeah. I mean, there's four. So when we kill them, we might as well. You can kill them all at the same time. Yeah, why not? Then you get. Then we. Just... I thought the whole idea is you stagger this. I mean, if they all start getting real old, but they're the and same they're laying, age. Yeah, they're all the same age. So, you know, I'd rather just call the call the flock. At a, I mean, it'll probably happen in two or three years. They'll probably start 
they'll 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 lay less and less mm-hmm. and then instead of getting one every day i'll probably get one every two or every three days their eggs start getting weirder they start getting double yolks or eggs and eggs um which is cool imagine this they'll lay an egg that's really large and you crack it and inside is a totally separate egg it's crazy Whoa. yeah they start getting more sort of defective and then eventually they just kind of run out like women are born with a set number of eggs so we're chickens. So eventually they stop, and then you just have either pets. And the last eggs can be fluky. Yeah, and I, they're not pets. Mm-hmm. There's pets. There's wildlife. There's farm animals. Those, These are farm those animals. animals act like pets, though. Like when I come over to your house, and they're kind of running around. And those are the cats. Ta- no. no, yeah, no, the cats are. Good. No, I mean the chickens are. They're like they're taking their animals. dirt baths, and like they're running around like your feet, and they eating worms out of the raised beds. I mean, you know, I was very, very aware. Like, yeah, they're dumb animals they're sweet but they have they have a sentient presence to them they have you know they have a, you know but they, i mean they're the feel you like you so? know when you're around other living yeah you know creatures with mental property you know mental processes going on yeah no they do i mean they like think. you sense that they're when i think of a chicken i don't think of them exuding any kind of aura of any sort of personality i think of them almost being a, a pecking machine because you know, there's that famous story of cutting off this this chicken that lived for many years with it, basically its head cut off. Right. Yes. And uh, no, I mean they're not intelligent, but intelligence is obviously like a spectrum. Who is clearly? <laughs> but like, uh, no, I mean I could tell that they recognize me and they like me and they come up to me and they follow me around. But you know, I don't cuddle with them. I don't want salmonella. They're covered in You it. picked one up when I was over there. Yeah. I mean, I occasionally like I pick them up. Mm-hmm. But it's usually to move them from A to B. But I'm not like... There are people who like let them in their house. And like, these guys are covered in bacteria. Well, they'll shit in the house, I would think. I mean, there are those people that put diapers on their chickens. Are you serious? I wish I was. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious. I wish I was joking. There, oh. it's <laughs> No, it's fucked. I mean, it's like, you know... Uh, this is like there people do it, and it's whatever. They're farm animals. We gotta like, there's there's three there's three sort of categories of animal, and like you can treat a uh, like a chicken like a pet, but like they're not hygienic. You could get you could get salmonella poisoning. It's not uncommon for people who like backyard farm to like do that shit, and like they're farm animals. They're gonna mm-hmm. like they serve a purpose. I protect them. I provide food for them and shelter and water and. Yeah, I give them a good, healthy, happy chicken life. They give me eggs, and then eventually, you know. I've been curious about this since I have come to this phase of my life, where I, which was really not my life until I got into my 40s, mm. th- thinking of like ROI on stuff. Like, I'm spending this much on this. What am I getting yeah. out of this? Like, with the house, you know, yeah. and all of that. So I'm like, how much food are you getting out of a chicken versus how much feed you're feeding it? And well, like, you know, like if you count the eggs, like how much feed they eat a day. You want to do the math? I can do the math right now. Yeah, do it. So I buy a hundred pounds of feed every month and a half. Mm-hmm. It's thirty bucks. Thirty dollars every month and a half, and that breaks down to a dollar a day. Uh, yeah, a you little say, bit less. Well, a month and a half, like eighty right. cents or whatever a day. So, like, here's something to think about: they lay. If they're all four of them are laying, I get a dozen every three days. Yeah. So it's four eggs a day, a dozen every three days. And so, that would normally cost you in the supermarket. Well, let's do the math. Let's see. It's 45 days times mm-hmm. four. I get 180 eggs. Divide that by 12. It's 15 dozen eggs. 
I'm paying $2 a dozen. That's about wholesale. Is it? I mean, I, I, right. I mean, like you can see them for $5 a dozen. But they're such good eggs. I mean, they're the best. I mean, they're the healthiest eggs. But also, like, I give a lot of eggs away. I have friends who want eggs. I have neighbors who trade me for eggs. But you're, you're yielding. A, we're going to have to talk about this some more because I'm sure this makes for fascinating listening to talk about. But I'm kind of, I think, I feel like we, like at Re- Restaurant Depot, for instance, like you sell a, bo- a case, it's like a 30 dozen case and i felt like i've done the math and it comes down to like a dollar 99 a dozen oh yeah i mean like you can get terribly cheap eggs like if they're cheap it's there's a reason it's so you're s- right well these are factory farm eggs yeah you know? and there are generic factory farm eggs james farm those are terrible so. i mean I, it's so inhumane we're gonna our generation is gonna be so judged on how we treat animals or maybe we'll be forgiven for just being at a certain stage of evolution cultural evolution you know i don't think that i don't think the history is very forgiving it's like um tree panning and bloodletting and all that other shit bad i mean um they still do that to alleviate actually the michael pollan book talks about that do they yeah it talks about a woman who um she takes a microdose of lsd like every day and she also tree pants herself oh she, she couldn't find anybody to do it to her well like, it's she couldn't find like, a doctor that would drill her skull for her so she they do that did it herself if you have like head trauma and they rush to the hospital they will like well that's because of bleeding in the yeah inflammation mm-hmm. your brain swelling up but i know that but... people do it recreationally well, she did it because she had been reading all of this research for many years that um, that it was it would help with uh, depression or did it help something her? like that. Yeah, yeah, she's a convert, but you know you can't find anybody that will drill into a healthy brain. Yeah, that's uh, just <laughs> for shits and giggles. Yeah, so. that's that's some self medication. But she there. did it herself. Yeah, like she figured it out, and like it, it was almost. I think she did the old uh, like lobotomy eye socket thing. You got to check that book. Out. I got to read nuts. that book. It's like a whole. I'm, I've never read any of his others, but I saw the Botany of Desire uh, documentary. Oh, did they? Uh, the Omnivore's Dilemma. I, I got called out for. It. I was woofing in Italy. Do you know woof? W W O O F. It's Worldwide Opportunities for Organic Farming. It's like a national. It's like an international network of organic farms, usually small mm-hmm. farms or agritourism that kind of thing. And you work for free. You can have. You get room and board, mm-hmm. and you work on a farm. And usually, it's not like as aggressive as a not you know, like a 40 hour work week it's usually like you work for three days and have mm-hmm. three days off or you might work for four days and they take you to town for a day like it's a great way to to travel for cheap mm-hmm. because you know you know you're working your way through it but usually the it attracts uh, the hosts it, it attracts like a certain cohort of people that like want to play host to international travelers and it's i did it in italy it was great um so uh where was i, I was woofing mm-hmm and this oh, was, and I we, we and at the time, my friend and I were re- sharing the Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. We were taking turns reading it, and uh, there was a New York Times article that was like painted this picture of a an early twenty something who was woofing through Europe, mm-hmm. reading this like with a dog eared version of it, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Fuck, that's awesome!" <laughs> like, yeah, so called out, but it, no, it's a great book. I mean. I love having my life reduced to a cultural stereotype. Yeah, well, I love being it's from the, Annie Hall. Yeah, the feature of a, of a New York Times long form article. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I love the like, I love and hate when they come up with articles about like millennials are doing this or millennials are killing 
TGI Fridays or millennials are not buying diamonds. Why not? And it's like, I think those articles sell to people my age and older, older because yeah. they're it scratches some itch. It's baby you know? boomer porn for yeah. sure. Yeah, they love to feel like we're not we're lazy or whatever. It's like median wages haven't grown since 1979, so we're not lazy. We just don't make any money. You know, somebody passed around a uh, stat on that that was saying that you made. The people were making thirty four thousand dollars in nineteen seventy seven. That's and that's that was the median then mm-hmm. and his median. Now I know for a fact that was not the. My father was making seven thousand dollars a year in middle management at Philip Morris. So maybe they adjusted it for inflation. Yeah, but they didn't adjust everything for inflation, right? Because I mean, like the ratio, like just you know, because I looked, my dad was giving me so much shit about buying this house that I said, well, I make this much. The house costs this much. It's three times what I make. What would you pay for your house? And what were you making? It was the same yeah. ratio. A- except fucking uh, um, interest then was between 11 and 17%. Holy percent. Yeah. That was like Carter years. Um, I don't know if he had anything to do with it. but I don't know what he had much to do with. But it's three and was three and a half when I got Is that typically what people do when you buy a like a house, you say, okay, it's three times what you Three make times your... That's a good rule of thumb. Is that's it? a comfortable um, mortgage. Yeah. Well... I mean, depending on how much money you put down. Like, I didn't put any down. That's right. You know? Yeah. But my, my dad did. He, I think he put something like... I don't know what, what he put down, because it was probably like 10%, mm-hmm. which it, t- 10% of $20,000 was at $2,000, mm-hmm. which was like big money then. I don't... I mean... It's a hell of a lot of eggs. It's a lot of eggs. That's right. Uh, you know, and I just found out from them recently. I didn't know this that when they bought their house in Churchill in 1972, mm-hmm. they had a very hard time getting a loan because of the redlining. Seriously. So it wasn't just it wasn't a color redline. It was like a the neighborhoods, yeah, geographical. But wow. um, my mother had an ace in the hole. Her father was on the board of the, uh, the uh, Central Fidelity Bank, which no longer exists. Or hmm. Or CNB, the the one that that big Art Deco building down there was in downtown. I love Art Deco. You know what? I'm, yeah, it's the tallest building. Oh yeah, they turned into apartments. Yeah, that was a bank then. I haven't been in there. I haven't been in there either. But, it's a really cool building. I tell people that's where they filmed uh, Ghostbusters on the roof. But that's not true. Of course not. <laughs> I did. I tell you, I wanted to do a fake tour of Richmond. Uh huh. I wanted just, to just all like, made up. Just make it like you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, I wanted to do uh, like a surrealist tour, mm-hmm. and just like have the like a tour guide who's dressed up like Dolly with the mustache and like mm-hmm. a, a fake ocelot. You could probably actually find an uh, aging uh, homosexual living somewhere in the fan that actually looks exactly like that and has an ocelot and would <laughs> would do that for you. I, okay, I, that's going to be a weird ad, but I think I could post it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and just like have them go on tour and just like make every like be like, this is where Michael Jordan was born, mm-hmm. uh, and he also invented. But there's the lobster. so much true weird ass history. That's true on here. But like, we need to have that kind of tour, Richmond. There is a ghost tour. You said that, and the lights just flickered. Uh huh. So there's ghosts in here. Turns out there's no ghosts in Richmond. It's just mold. Yeah, mold. It's, that's right, and um, just really angry mold. Mm-hmm. It's a tobacco mold. Or something, some nicotine residue. I'm, I'm falling flat on this yes and here. I'm sorry. No, you're doing great. I didn't take it anywhere. Did I tell you about my the, the tour that I do want? To, I I seriously want to to do in Richmond. Okay, it's called Dive Dive Dive, Dive Bars. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, there's ways to make it fun. There's well, drinking makes everything fun, sure, isn't it? But also, like, I want it, I don't want like a like a black, um, like Sprinter van, you know, that you see like when people go on tours, like mm-hmm. tacky light tours. I want like a Ford Bronco and like mm-hmm. a station wagon. Be like, yeah, it's our fleet. Mm-hmm. Like we mm-hmm. we max maybe out a Humvee. <laughs> Maybe with some armaments, yeah. just in case some of those neighborhoods. A Ford Pinto. I haven't really drank in ten years, but I am still very drawn to hole in the wall old man bars. That like, there's right. one in Wilmington, Delaware. I, I walk by all the time. Really? It's downtown in the financial district, and I really want to go in there. What's it called? I can't even remember. I just it's got one of those light box signs out in front of it that's like a pilsner glass with a beer in it. And, Love it. And it looks like I mean anybody in there is drinking to die. I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I built a fixed gear bike in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a nonprofit called uh, the Urban Bike Project. Dude, we got okay. So we've been freestyling a little bit here, but I really want to back up and and I wanted to comment that based on what I'm concocting as a socio political profile for you, the part where you kill and eat animals is like kind of doesn't line up. You know, and I you know. Do you I, find that with your peers that? Like most of the other people you meet at the ACLU voter registration protection um, parties. That's an interesting... No, that's an interesting point. I think, you know, conservatives don't have a monopoly on eating food that they kill. Right? We think of hunters. I think of conservative people who live in rural areas and hunt. But I think like... The stereotypes of conservatives that are used to turn city people off from the policies of... (laughs) Yeah. I think that there is also like this sort of like leftist idea of like growing your own food and and like people who live like urban farmers. Mm -hmm. If you typically urban areas tend to be bluer, and people who unfortunately care about the environment tend to be more blue. That's become partisan. Mm -hmm. You don't hear a lot of Republicans talking about climate change or uh, environmental regulations. That's just become a policy platform for them. But you know. I do. I I like growing my own food, even the chicken part, because I, it's, I think it's the easiest. Well, it's not the growing your own food part. It's just the part where you eat animals. Oh, yeah. I think you can do it responsibly. I mean, like, that's the whole Michael Pollan thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you can eat meat, but do it sparingly and but do it responsibly. But, you know, vegans don't not eat meat because necessarily because of the health reasons. They believe it is... Unethical. Unethical. I right? There's no can... need. Like, you have, have you ever read the... What's the guy's name? I had a vegan girlfriend in New York in the in the nineties. That sounds who, great. Yeah, I worked at a health food store there, and she made me read in defense of animals or some, animal liberation, maybe some mm-hmm. book. And they were like, "We don't have to eat them, so we shouldn't eat." Right? Them. Okay, and, I'm uh, I'm with you. I think I don't agree. I eat the shit out of you know animals. And I think the 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 Michael Pollan line: "Eat food, not too much, mostly plants." I mean, mostly plants. Like I think you can you can supplement. With animal protein. Um, so I, it's not a moral issue for you. I, Just not buying factory farm stuff. and Right. So buying food that I feel like is sourced better or raising food that I, I can know the source of feels to me like it's more ethical and it's more sustainable. Because, you know, when you ship stuff from across the country, it's terrible to the planet. When you can that's buy true. meat, even if you buy meat that's just as you know, full of antibiotics and mm-hmm. hormones and all that, which I don't recommend. You, if you do it from local, it's still better. Yeah. You know, it's not traveling from California 3,000 miles. So I think in a way I, I, 
I feel better. I feel more ethical if I do it myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you kill I can, what you eat, and you're involved in the entire. Yeah. Do you say a Native American prayer thanking the chicken for well, what it's about? When to I I had a rooster. Did I talk about this? Somebody, a friend of mine, gave me a baby chick for my birthday, and I didn't have a coop at the time. I gave it gave it to my other friend, and she is great with chickens and raised this chicken, and then texted me one day and was like, "All right, bad news." Tina, this was also a Tina. Mm. They're all Tina. Because uh, bad news, Tina identifies as a rooster. So mm. I, have a, I have a, we misidentified. It's hard to tell. <laughs> There's a job called chick sexing. You know what this? <laughs> People whose whole job it is to look at chicks and try to determine if they're mm, going to be a rooster or hen. <laughs> There's so nobody so wants many a good jokes in there that I don't feel like going anywhere near. There's, so in fact, there's even a chicken breed that's called sex link. They're not a breed, they're a type. And their gender is linked to their in their genes like it's linked to their outward appearance mm-hmm. so you can tell because it has red feathers that it's a female and so they look at these chicks and determine male female anyway see this rooster so tina decided was a, was a rooster and she said listen he, he's a real jerk he's got spurs he's like forcing himself on the other hens he's coming after me when i go to feed them get rid of him do whatever you want i just i can't have him at my house anymore so all right brought him back one morning Alice in Chains quietly playing in the background yeah you put it in later <laughs> and uh, I invited two of my best friends over and we, we lit a fire in the backyard and put water on to boil and I had I was driving around Churchill and I got a safety cone and I rigged it so it was upside down and we put the rooster in head first so his head came out at the bottom which was Oh, that's how you... I was wondering, you mentioned that you used the safety... So you put it upside down, you put the rooster in there, so his head came through the hole. Exactly. So it does a number of things. And First then you of cut all, his head off? Well, no. Well... Or is it just choke him? You know, you just nick his, his carotid artery. So what's nice about the cone is it swaddles them, so they're, they're sort of comforted. They, mm-hmm. they tend to... It tends to As calm them. Bleeding out, they're calm. Right. So putting them in the cone, it calms them down, and also they tend to they tend to stop moving if you hang them upside down. Like if you ever pick up a chicken by the feet, they mm-hmm. they don't they it relaxes them in a way, it slows their heart rate, and it calms them. So you we put the rooster in, and I just held the beak. My friend Josh did this, and just you take a really sharp knife and you just nick the carotid artery, and they bleed out, and they don't thrash, and they don't spasm, and they don't make any noise, and it's. I think it's more humane. I mean, that's well, that's the kosher and halal. kosher way is actually you break it. Break oh yeah? The neck, yeah. So the okay, so the halal way is I don't know. They bleed them. They that's, might. They, I'm not sure. They definitely do because I used to be a meat guy. I had all the halal oh, yeah, certification, right. and even in the factory farms, they have halal slaughtermen that are there, and it certifies that they were there, and they handled the mechanical knife that. Uh, wow. The, yeah, but they yeah. bleed all animals before. Uh, right. So this, in my mind, was was less um, was more humane. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. like you can't really ask how how did it go once they're gone. But you know, you can either chop them right. off, chop the head off. You can break their neck, you know, wring their neck, or you can do the cone. I I think logically the cone makes more sense. It's just like a the only pain is from that little. If you have a sharp knife, it's just they don't you might not feel even it. notice it from that jagged cone sticking in their neck already. No, they're good. Plastic. So. It wasn't. It was fine. Anyway. So what you do is you take the rooster and you dunk it in boiling water for like five, ten seconds, and then in a cold water bath, and then the feathers come right out. Then you just gut the inside, you pull the insides out, you know, the intestine all right that. under you the be, rib cage. You just yeah, clean you out should the be body really careful because if yeah. any of that bursts, then it it basically it, right. makes it get bacteria it's toxic. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you do. That. I've done that to a goose. Oh really? Before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so my friend Andrew helped 
clean it, and then I broke it down, and we made a stew. And that was it. And we, but, but what was nice was it was kind of spiritual. I mean, we were very, like, deliberate. We were not, we were very careful to do it as humanely as possible. We wanted to make sure the knife was sharp and that we did it right and that we were being respectful of something that we were, like, I got it as a chick. I knew its entire life. It lived with somebody that was great raising hands, mm-hmm. chicken. So, you know, I, I felt pretty good about doing it. I felt like, you know, this animal lived a good life and then it nourished us and we did it respectfully and... And you nourished it, right? Oh yeah. You guys fed it and brought it up, and it was its whole existence. If I could, um, owed it to eat you. all of my chicken the way that way. If I could raise and eat only my own chicken, I would feel way better because I could guarantee that it had a a chicken life. But mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I think like you can do it ethically. I think you can. But I also like it was amazing. A lot of people were like, "Oh, that I could never do it." I'm like, if you can't do it, then maybe you should give up meat. Like if. Why is it okay? Why is it ethical to pass that off on someone else? Like, I was kind of prepared going into this. I was like, like you know, listen, if I can't do this, I have to stop eating chicken. Mm-hmm. Cause it, so who am I to, to do that? I agree with that. Uh, I mean, my whole... I've, I've been through various um, beliefs and practices around all of these kinds of things. Mm. And my spiritual thing has, you know, really pursued Eastern, mm-hmm. like channels and right. you know you go far enough into that it's none of this is that big a deal <laughs> yeah. i mean it's all infinite you know one matter and energy and you know That's it's a great point it's constantly um oscillating in form but it's all the same energy i mean even when you whether it's a plant or an animal we are we are are what we ate you oh know? yeah and like all of those things are it's energy changing form um, oh yeah, you know, and that's why it's so important to eat good food. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, you, you definitely want to eat because you, you're made out of that, and it, yeah, it's going to break down and make. And more I still of ate it. a whole bottle, box of um, Lucky Charms over the last week because hey, I got in a weird mood with that shit. You know, Lucky brings you luck. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I, I, I even was reading something about Eastern thought about eating meat, and you know, in the, in in the West, we think of eating like. Some people are like, oh, I, I eat white meat, I eat poultry and fish. Mm-hmm. I, I can never eat a pig or a cow. I mean, they're so smart. And, and they're also mammals, right? Right. They're and the so same people, animal kingdom. Right. <laughs> and so people tend to think of, like, the worth of an animal by their intelligence. It's like, well, I could eat something that's dumb. But, like, if you see life as... as Sacred. Yeah, or, yes, or just as valuable as anything else and a bug's life is just as valuable as a plant's life is just as valuable as a human's right. life everything suffers right. there's no way to eat without causing suffering is the buddhist but you know here's interesting is we were we were invoking the stereotypical right-wing country guy that hunts yeah and uh there's a great quote from ted nugent oh what he said the great granddaddy of all of these things he said anybody who thinks that it's okay to eat a chicken but not a bunny because bunnies are cute and chickens are ugly, can kiss my ass. <laughs> I, I mean, in, in a way, that's very Eastern because how's this for an idea? If you have to end a life to feed yourself. You have to. You don't if. <laughs> right. So if the idea is, well, chickens are dumb. I'm more comfortable eating chickens than eating a cow. A chicken might feed you for a week. A, a cow, a full cow, there's enough meat for six months. So yeah. you either end 52 lives a year or you end two lives a year. Right. But if the lives are equal, then... But then it's still, to me, I mean, it's the, you know, uh, 
Hakuna Mantara, you know, Lion King, the circle of life. I mean, life is not ending. Right. It's constantly just changing form. It's transferring. Yeah. So you, I think we right. don't have the power to end a life. We, but actually, we, we yeah. have the power to end one humanely. That's true. And I mean, I don't know if, I mean, my, my sense about chickens kind of has been connecting or any kind of animal that is considered to be less intelligent than we goes to this TED talk I saw that said brain size is not about intelligence. Brain size is about movement. Really? Mm -hmm. That's this guy's theory Hmm. that we have such a big brain so that we can do all kinds of discrete coordinated tasks. You know, we're one of the only ones that can like pinch something with our thumb and forefinger and like we can run or be riding a horse and throw a fucking spear. Mm -hmm. You know, we can do all of these things at the same time, all of this orchestrated, coordinated movement. So you should watch that TED Talk. It's interesting. And so therefore, I don't think that the consciousness and the sentience resides in the size of the gray matter, that I think it is the Atman, like the life force, and like it's equally in everything. Yeah, I like that. But certain animals are not as able to talk shit like we are and make it known. Did you hear yeah. that cats don't meow naturally? Yes, I saw the lion in your living room on Netflix. And yes, they well they do meow naturally, but they meow as a baby to tell their mother they're hungry. And they keep doing it with the But their mother stops listening to them when she's t- when it's time to wean and when they need to start fending for themselves, so then they abandon the practice because it doesn't get them anything. But with the adults, with, with humans, humans yeah. we we feed them when they meow. We do what they want. We do their bidding when they meow, so it works. They keep doing it. So it's like sort of a um, symbiotic classical conditioning thing. Right. It, it yeah. sort of a reinforces itself. Mm-hmm. Well, my cat's meow. But the cool thing, that, well, I would say the cool thing, the thing that makes me a crazy cat dad is that I can tell their meow apart. I mean, that maybe mm-hmm. not is a unique thing, but I can definitely be in the other room and I hear like Gary kind of chirps and Sancho kind of mews and that's... You can tell their meows. Apart. Oh, for sure. Not the individual. Do they have different meows? I mean, like, does one cat have different meows for different? Oh, you mean like I'm hungry? Uh-huh. Um, can I borrow your phone charger? Yeah, yeah. No, that's all this. Uh, yeah, probably. Can I go outside? My cat didn't meow when I got her because she had been found one. feral with with her brothers, and all she did was make this kind of hissing sound. Really? And sometimes, if she wanted to meow, she went like. <sighs> And and she gradually, for me talking to her, yeah, she, and like you know, nur- like nurturing. She started meowing, but she doesn't meow much. She really only meows. She's yeah, she's very timid, but she's present. She's not timid. She's more like um, I'm also. She's one. I'm one of you. She's a you cat know? of few words. Yeah, but she doesn't. I don't think she sees herself as the um, baby. Well, you know? so like, I think like I, we're yeah. you know like I feed her, but it's like. She acts like, you know, more like, uh, you know, I, I would do this myself if I could get it in that refrigerator. Yeah, these you damn know? opposable thumbs. You know, but there's like a lot of cats that really are into that whole nurturing. Right. Well, so, you <laughs> know, I... fucking grown men. Yeah. So, yeah. I do feel weird. Like, I mean, I have these two cats that are both boys. You can lower that as long as it keeps between your mouth and the... Got it. You can go lower. Lower? I mean, yeah. Like, right. I mean, you want to see over it or something? No, we're good. I don't but, even know um, if it does anything. I have two cats that are both males. And I'm like, it kind of feels like this is like a boys club. Well, like that's another thing is dudes. that cats don't have dads. So you can't be a cat dad. I, I don't know. Then how do We're they cat moms. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You don't think they're like... Male they, cats do not... They're not even around. You know, they, they they don't have any kind of a relationship with the female cat. 
they knock them up on a fence or you know and it's not a pleasant experience for the female cat like they basically yeah, you grab them by the back of the neck with their teeth and they stick a barbed thing yeah, in them that won't do. come out until it's done so it kind of hooks them inside it's really I've heard unpleasant about that, yeah. for well so then how do my cats see me i mean i, I think they mom. can no they can tell i'm not a, a gender woman. it's yeah. gender neutral mom oh okay it's very modern it's very transparent mapa mm-hmm I mean, I guess unless they just think no, of me as like a brother. Binary thing. I guess in my mind, they, I think <laughs> I think they think I'm a brother. Just three dudes having a good time. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, Nala definitely. I can't believe we're talking about um, Nala. Definitely. Well, that's Matt, Mark Marin talked about cats a lot, so we're in good company. Does he? Um, yeah, he has a, he had a cat ranch, and oh, he had God, a whole yeah. bunch of cats. They were either his or. Um, you know, sort of That's strays much. that had sort of started hanging around his house. He had like four or five of them. I got two cats, and and, I and since we factory. rip off Mark Marin for the format, I can talk about cats yeah. too. Yeah, I I think it's interesting for me to do the exercise too to see mom is not about the sexual organs, just you know, but about the role. The role. Yeah. Yeah. So, in a, for a cat, there is no animal with male sex organs that would be nurturing. A cat. Really? Yeah. You think about it, they don't even know who their fathers are. Yeah. The mom just gets pregnant and she's walking around with, you know, eight little babies inside her and she finds some place to have them. That's a tough life. It is. Cats do not have it good. That's why they. My cats do. My cats have it fucking great. Yeah, they run your shit. I I saw that. They get on everything. I don't don't let mine climb around on counters. There's no. Talk about salmonella. I mean, I spray the counter down. (laughs) I mean, what do you. You can't train them. Yeah, you can. There's no training a cat. Shake, do you shake things at him? Or you squirt him with a squirt gun? Nala knows. I mean, they understand uh, prohibition is the term. And like I, when I tell her, when she starts walking into a room I don't want her to go into, I say, don't you go in there. And she turns around. Seriously? And, yeah. I just she, a, When I'm not there, though, she'll still right. do it. But. I'm of the persuasion that it's just like you can't even try. People who are like, oh, you should get your like, training. I'm like, you can't. You train a dog. My cats are going to do what they're going to do. We just cohabitate. No, you, there's definitely a, a range of behavior that you can discourage or in, <laughs> in them. But a lot of it is they do come with it. Like they're either going to be cool or not or be brats. Yeah, there's no – Gary has some – Gary's got big dick energy. You mm-hmm. know, he's like – he's going to do whatever he wants. He's got swagger. Sancho is sort of like a little bit more timid. But you can't – like Gary is his own thing. It's interesting that a penis decides how confident. Well, they're both n- neutered. Mm, right. So you so would think that like your testosterone is lower, but I think Gary had like a botched neuter because mm. he's got some like, you know. This is his brain. He's got a good one. Um, he got like a 1600. So where did you grow up again? West End. Oh, yeah. You're from Richmond. Godwin. That's right. Mm-hmm. You went to Godwin. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. I I'm rolling my eyes for people. <laughs> <laughs> so you were not a sports guy in um high no school? no no not at all hey freaks not, and geeks yeah kind of i i to this day i sort of am a, a social butterfly which means like i i like to be part of lots of different groups but i'm not very like i'm not good at being in one solid group mm-hmm. so i was like in the thespian society and i did some drama did some stage stage production stuff like that I was friends with some band kids i was friends with some jocks i was friends with the like the kind of more religious, like the, the young life crowd that mm-hmm. were like, they weren't drinking. Mm-hmm. Most of them are married. Um, I felt more comfortable sort of like jumping between the groups. So I didn't really have my own group. 
but uh, definitely wasn't sports. Did you get fucked with much? Um, not really. I mean, somewhat, but like I don't think any worse than anybody else. But I also was just like, I know I'm different. I mean, I think everybody, well, I don't know. I felt like I definitely didn't fit in, mm-hmm. but I was like kind of okay with it. Um, but I was definitely more annoying then. I was just sort of, you know, a bit <laughs> more too... annoying than this. Right. Like thing. now I'm still, I'm less annoying, but I'm a little bit more sort of like, like a comfortable with who I am. I'm like, You're not that? annoying. No. I just wanted to tease there. What about you? I, what was your high school job? I went to no military. Academy. I was similar to you. I jumped. The weird thing is I went, my parents, I started out in Richmond public schools and I went to. Bellevue up here in Churchill, mm-hmm. and then I went to Henderson out on Northside because we still had busing. Wow! Then and then um, when my draft orders came up for high school, I was destined for Armstrong, which um, based on my experience in Henderson, it was would have been like sending me to Vietnam. Oh, really? Basically. What's so, what was the makeup at the time? Was it you like, mean like demographically? Yeah, yeah. Um, like ninety five percent. African American, and, and not, and that's not really what it's. I shouldn't even say that poor inner city kids. Okay, that like, and like I'm, I'm only saying this from experience. I'm not saying this from any judgment. Right, about, I get that. You know, but like, you know, I grew up in a. My parents were fairly traditional, but I ended up in a very liberal household, even right. though they would not have referred to themselves as liberals, but they had moved into Churchill and they had always voted Democrat. Got it. But the other families in the neighborhood were very, um, f- you know, pretty far left, like the Silvers family. And, mm. um, and why am I saying this? Uh, the demographic of your high school? Were you target? I mean, were you, did you feel Yeah, like- well, so in the neighborhood, and just recently I got very upset on Facebook because the guy that runs the Peter Paul Center was people were complaining about being robbed or talking or sharing information about being robbed right. on there. And maybe some of them were complaining and he wrote this little thing about how uh, you should understand why you're getting robbed right? and you should almost sort of accept it. And that made me very angry because when... Your, your experience was different. Yeah, I was I was traumatized and terrorized by kids in that neighborhood. So what I was going to say is, I can't, my family and the other families of a similar educational level had a certain kind of home training, and there were plenty of African American kids that had that same kind of home training. Like mm-hmm. you didn't act a certain way. You know, you made your parents proud. You went to school clean. Right. You wore decent clothes. You behaved yourself, and you listened to teacher. But then there were a lot of kids there that basically didn't have any parenting. Right, and they fucking wreak havoc. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just, and, and like the thing is that I had to grow up being the subject of that shit. So, and so I didn't go to Armstrong. I went to a small private school, but let's, let's one? talk about this. Marymount it's, uh-huh. does not exist anymore. Ever since they tore it down and like, well, the school closed in like 1992, 1993 is a little Catholic school. Did you, um, did your parents like help you with your homework? I don't really remember a lot of that happening. And I don't think... My mother grew up in Windsor Farms. Okay. And my dad grew up on a in a rural... In Northern Virginia, in Annandale, when it was rural. Got it. It's not obviously now, but... And his parents both grew up on farms. Hmm. And, you know, he actually ended up the way he is because somebody in the neighborhood took an interest in him when he was a paper boy mm-hmm. and gave him books and played classical music for him and... All this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. remember there was a study that found that, like, the number one indicator of, like, 
how students will perform in schools if there's just books at home. Yeah, so I, I definitely was interested in reading and yeah. I mean I remember reading a stop sign before I went to kindergarten being oh, like yeah. S T O P stop. And wow. I, I but I you know, I kinda wanted it. Like right. I, I wanted to be like the grown ups. You know, I had yeah. that very early like I was trying to please them. It wasn't even necessarily something that my mother Were you good at talking to grown ups when you were a kid? They seemed to think I was kind of they tell, tell stories like my aunts and uncles that I was kind of precocious. So. Yeah, so I had the same, I feel the same way. Like mm-hmm. I remember being younger and my friends were like, yeah, you talk to adults well. Mm-hmm. And that for me that felt normal. That was like, you know, just hanging out with somebody your own age doesn't, where's the spice? Mm-hmm. I like having friends that are younger and friends that are older. And I think that provides a more varied perspective. I used to work with kids on their playgrounds when I was in college. Mm. And I just happened to this job because my best friend's dad worked for Reckon Parks. And he, cool. in the summertime, they would hire up because they had to continue the um, food, breakfast, and lunch program. Right. And so that went to the playgrounds when the schools were closed. That's smart. So the federal government would give the city of Richmond a bunch of money to hire seasonal workers in order to help Great. put that out. And it, pretty much to a man, everybody that got hired for that was a friend or, you mm-hmm. know, it was a lot of nepotism. I'm so, sure. I'm sure. Um, and I did it. My first year, I just continued on and, and continued to work in the playground. And um, God damn, I'm losing my train of thoughts. Like, what were you? <laughs> why did I get... <laughs> um, you were talking to kid, You were talking to people that are younger than you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I spent a lot of time with kids between the age of like uh, six and twelve, and like some of them, I remember I had there were kids that were like ten, eleven, twelve years old that were just like my friends. Mm-hmm. Like there were certain subjects that we didn't talk about. Right. But like we were, we talked and we hung out, you know, and like I would play carom with them or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like I just was at the witch shop um, and we had this kid who was just working there for the summer and he was 17. He was going to be a senior. And I was like, just kind of picking his brain. And I really can't remember the last time I just spoke to a high school kid, mm-hmm. but it was really interesting to get his perspective and see the world a little bit through his eyes. I, I think it's really valuable. And like, you know, like you said, like, we can't. I can't talk to him about bills and have him, you know. Or yeah, there's a lot of things grasp that. Mm-hmm. But like, we could talk a little bit about like, you know, what's his day to day like, life like. What does he sort of see for the future? What, you know, because you know, they, he picks up on everything too. He was really. I thought he was pretty smart, and I remember being like, "Don't party too much. Your brain is really elastic right mm-hmm, now." Like. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Do you smoke weed?" He's like, "Yeah, I smoke a lot of weed." It's like, "Smoke less." How weed. old is this kid? He was seventeen. I was like, "Smoke, oh. like smoke weed, but do it like when you're thirty, mm-hmm. when your brain is like developed and and it and it's kind of set. Yeah. Like your foundation's still like dry, like wet. You know, let that mortar set because you, you can know, definitely habituate to certain things that could be problematic. I think it's the most important time. I'm like, you gotta like don't party too hard. Have fun, but like don't party too hard. Like mm-hmm. let your brain." I partied too hard when I was 17. Yeah. 15, 16. So I started drinking at 15. It turned out all right. I, it, it took a course correction. That's true. That's <laughs> a big true. one. Yeah, but that's what I mean is like, you know, like your brain's going to keep going. Like, don't screw up that process. It's for, all of this stuff. Like, your, your body and your brain are one thing. Mm. We talk about it in these compartmentalized ways, but your brain is growing out of the same energy and yeah. food and nutrition and everything that you're taking in. Yeah. And you know you are what you eat. So if if what is if you're growing a brain on sugar cereal and uh, processed food and and junk food, you know, (laughs) and weed, yeah. I mean, I'd be more worried about what you eat every fucking day as a kid 
and no, then that kind of stuff. I mean, my mother was good about that um, nutrition. Like, we never had any of that kind of shit in the house. Did I give like, you my sardine spiel? No. Oh, God, I could write a thesis. I love sardines. That's like my... What's not to love? People think... people. Well, first of all, everyone gets some confused with anchovies. Yeah. But really what they are, to me, like you can... If you buy like the sustainable ones, you know, if I buy like organic... Not organic or like whatever, responsibly fished, they're, they're great. Unlike what they did to Monterey Bay in California. You know, that whole cannery row there, that's all... They just it fucking caught all the sardines. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why there's just... Now that's just a resort and they have... Mm. Uh, I, I went and stayed in one of them, but... You know, I want to be. We were talking about the youth thing a lot, and this is suddenly. I spend. I, I have friends in large age groups. You know, various age groups. Mm-hmm. Like you know, um, youngest probably being like twenty two that I talk to regularly cool. about like socio political things. It is good in some respects because I uh, I'm learning a lot, and they're learning from you. But I get frustrated as as fuck sometimes because. The thing that is the hallmark of being 48 for me is that I don't know anything. Right. You know? Yeah, here it is. Right? The con- difference between them and you is that you know what you don't know. And they right. think they know everything. Right. And that is real, like, you talk about mansplaining. Mm. Millennial splaining is a thing. Where somebody starts telling me about Privilege. stuff that I have direct I mean, the socioeconomic factors that affect the children of the inner city neighborhoods, and this is why, and such and such, and giving me these speeches, and I'm like, yeah, I I, I know all about this. Yeah, right. Um, And and there is a level, and I remember being like this, um, being like 21, and just coming coming into some awareness about it certain things and and it was like the kind of the way that young people are about everything like we invented sex we invented you know um everything I, I, right yeah. no it's, you're right it's part of being it's and i don't think i ever saw it this way in the past like when you're a teenager you're rebelling against your parents and then when you're in your 20s you're rebelling against society mm, and you're what, pushing the envelope well i just <laughs> not 30. everybody but what do, what, do, what do i rebel against in my 30s 30s you're not rebelling anymore you're starting to accept certain things are not going to change see that sounds and cynical to me it's not cynical it's that you begin to see that it's not all evil like this stuff has been cast a certain way right you know such as like i i would say that i at one time would see big agriculture factory farm stuff as if there were some devious machiavellian people that set about to create this situation right instead i understand that this was an attempt to solve a problem over a very long period of time but it's a bad that create they created more problems right. right and i have a lot of personal experience of trying to solve a problem that creates more right. problem sure. you know so i have I, i've developed more and more of this like no there's we can protest or fight or um you know try to tear down these specific things but the the source of those things has to do with a certain apprehension of reality and our agency in the yeah, world like that. yeah and I, did i yeah. tell you i had a friend and he was like well what you know we we're talking politics and he's like well what happens if donald trump gets reelected?" and i thought for a second i was like you're nothing it doesn't matter you still fight right like if you believe in a thing like you know, chat, like addressing uh, police brutality or mm-hmm. bad policing practices, or if you care about the environment, like that started before Trump too, and it's going to keep going after Trump. Trump didn't cause. It. I mean, He's Michael right, Michael Brown was um, that was all of that stuff happened during a previous. It, it has nothing to do with who the president is, right? And that's what I. Right. That's kind of what I was saying. Was like, listen, like 
Trump is a figure. He's a symbol. He's a symptom. And it didn't start then. That's it, when it became a social media. Right. Um, so if anything, Firestone. we're better off now that people know about it. Like, I would say I did not at all grasp how widespread and pervasive and in unjust police brutality was. I thought we had come further than we had. So in my opinion... Is it widespread? I think it is. I mean, well, I mean you, these people are dying all over the And country. I'm asking this question not in a rhetorical sure. way. I'm like each of the things that there are so many things that I as a, a person who is identified with the left for my whole life um, and for good good reasons and I still do identify. Yeah. What I as a media person, as a marketing person, mm-hmm. I have just watched everybody change jobs in society after Trump was elected. Like we just switched jobs. Yeah, I think, and and, yeah. and like a lot of the shit is hysteria. Like no, and that's the thing is like he, I like the way that you can make your cat chase the fucking light pen. Mm-hmm. I, I see us all being like fucked with and manipulated like that. Mm-hmm. So no, that we have to be better than that. We have to be really careful to say, listen, like Trump is very good at getting our hackles up or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's very good at getting our attention on certain things. We have to resist that and say, listen, what's at the end of the day, it's not about Trump. It's about the underlying issues. It's about the policies. It's about, you know, like if, if I claim to care about protecting the environment, I have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. I have to do, I have to volunteer for the Chesapeake Bay foundation. I well, have to, whatever, I, but I have can, to do it after Trump. Can I too. fuck with the semantics of the word fight? Because I, I think of what you're doing as as not fighting, as putting a lot of energy into constructing a, an alternative. Right. So, like, you don't just go around saying that plan sucks and have no other plan. Right. So it's not destructive. You're it's working on permaculture. Bingo. Right. And it, this is the difference to me is that I don't believe in. I don't agree with the method that people of your your a lot of your generation, a little younger, some of the extremes are employing now. It's it's bordering on the kind of shit that was in Kafka, and um, you yeah. know Soviet Russia. That a, a friend of mine, the twenty two year old, was talking about how she can't like Henry Cavill anymore because in an interview he said, you know who that is, the guy who plays Superman, Got it. And he's in the mission. He said that the Me Too movement has got him afraid to ask women out. It was just an honest thing that he said. Mm. And I, I can relate to that because um, you really, it's not like you think there's anything wrong with the Me Too movement. It's that you are examining your own behavior and wondering if things that you have been somewhat raised in toxic masculinity and maybe right. you do have some practices that I you mean, picked up for. The-, the fact that you don't even talk about it means that the Me Too movement so is it's constructive, right. it not is just con- destructive. But what she said was, so I can't like him anymore because he said that. Because if he said that, that means he's guilty of something. That's that not, he, yeah. Right. So there are, you know, there are people who are like, if you're accused, you're guilty. Like, on, And there are people right. who are being very dogmatic right. about things that were really supposed to be undoing dogma. Right. No, and, I think that's and undoing paradigms yeah. and undoing. I think it's important when you care about something like this is to I mean, obviously, emotion, we're emotional beings, and that's going to get involved. But I think, like you said, it's important to be constructive. And I think that's why I am a Democrat, because mm-hmm. I like the things that the Democrats say to me, they're, they're, le- they're not destructive. I mean, they're painted as destructive in a way and saying they're, 
you know, obstructionist or whatever. They're bad for business. But like, I see them as saying like, no, we have solutions. Like people, mm-hmm. like healthcare is expensive. We need to bring price, drug prices down. Like why not have single payer? It's a path towards universal healthcare. Right. Every doctor's in the same network overall. It I agree with all, I mean, it's, right, but yeah, and, it's and, a no brainer to me to be a Democrat. Right. But, but I just mean like they provide like solutions that I think make sense. Like they're rational, they're data driven and it, and it's constructive. It's saying like, this is a problem. We're not trying to blame someone else. Like I'm not going to worry about blaming big pharma. I'm going to say, let's just regulate them. I don't need to be blame into it. Like if the system's broken, I don't have to blame someone for why it's broken. I just say, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. I, I become, it's very cold and calculated and economical, but I don't like the emotion's not going to solve this. Exactly. It's, I mean, passion can solve it, but the anger and fear, that doesn't put you in your constructive, creative mindset that right. puts you in your reptilian cortex, your reaction. Or the blame or arrogance, whatever. Like, it's about so, but I see, checking that. I see people uh, who I have, I've always aligned myself with reacting to the same mm-hmm. hokum yeah. that the right was reacting to when Obama was president. Yeah, I, yeah. And yes... Trump is definitely a different fucking... This is the worst president I could possibly imagine as having. I'm not trying to make any... Uh, I make no bones about that. Right. But, I'm, but the uh, net behavior of society right now yeah. is that w- the people who don't have their president are behaving the same way as the people who didn't have their president in the last eight years. Right. I would say that I... And they're listening to the same... I mean, listening to a lot of crazy shit. You're right. And And they're not actually contextualizing... It is true that, uh, for instance, Donald Trump has rolled back a lot, a lot of executive orders that Obama mm-hmm. created. But that's what every president of a different party does when he takes over. That's true. I mean, I they think always that, do that. That's a bigger issue, right? The bigger issue is that, like, our politics now, and I, maybe this has always been the case. I, I, I just think we need to figure out a better way for policies and programs to live longer than a term. You know, because, like... Obama did all this stuff in eight years. Trump's going to try to but change But the thing that. is, is that because Mitch McConnell no, was even. not going to let him, he actually made no true, the only real policy that he got, a, he got the Affordable Care Act, which I find den- you know, offensive to call it Obamacare. The, the Affordable Care Act was right. the one legislative win, like the big legislative win. The rest of that shit is, as Mitch McConnell constantly said, is legislation by Penn. Where he wrote an executive order, he never got it through the House. He right. never got well, it through the couldn't. Senate, right? Because they had set out to block him. So, right. it's a very catch twenty two kind of. No, you're right. Insane, I mean, I, I, the, the concern for me is Obama did he expanded the power of the executive branch by doing so many and setting the precedent of doing so many signing so many executive orders, and obviously Trump moved into that role. So he kind of screwed us by making the president he, more he, powerful. Actually, he didn't. Write more executive orders than... Is that true? Yeah, because I've seen that claim, so I've researched oh, it. And me. he wrote less. I mean, we could look up the actual Ronald Reagan way more, Bill Clinton way more. Fuck Ronald um, Reagan. Dude, I, <laughs> it's, like, I, it's my mantra when I wake up in the morning. I say, fuck Ronald Reagan. Well, and for me also, this God is damn. surreal Groundhog Day kind of shit. Because yeah. I was 10 years old when Ronald Reagan was elected. And I was going to Bellevue Elementary School, and I still remember vividly how the kids in my school were uh, were freaking out the exact same way. Really? Yes, and one of the kids, John Ryan, I even remember coming up to me in the schoolyard with the Richmond Times Dispatch with Ronald Reagan's picture on it. He'd drawn a devil face on him, I and like that he guy. was like stabbing it with a. Yeah. Well, they turned but out the to be right. The point is, is that. <laughs> 
he ruined so much. Right, but but you know we've been yeah. these, these things don't. I don't feel like we're in end times now. I feel like we're in a time where um, the marketing and the curating of information has like. Like we we got comfortable with being able to discern the fact from the false with newspapers and magazines and television, mm-hmm. and I think the people controlling those things over time there were a lot of laws passed and a lot of practices enacted to make it ethical, and then social media and all of our direct information transfer stuff came along subverts it and and the thing it's a it's a reverse thing about uh, marketing and branding where a guy I used to work for said people believe people they don't believe advertising. Right, so you believe your friend that shared this fucking article, right. but he shared an article because his friend shared it, right. and nobody read it. You know, right. okay, they just yeah. read the fucking headline. Yeah, I mean, so I we, don't we have know a lot how. of bad information, and it's not very well curated going around. And have you seen? There's this great sort of like write up. This guy um, kind of talks about the internet as though when it first started, it was like hunter gatherers. It was mm-hmm. very egalitarian, and anybody could build a website and. Uh, you know, but all the people on there were smart. Well, I mean, I think... Or it just, educated. Maybe. I mean, I think it was like, it was open to anyone. You had to be. I mean, you were the computer nerd if you were on right. there. You were, I mean, you were coming from a level of, edu- maybe social awkwardness, but, you know. There, uh, let me, um, let me find it. Because it was interesting, because he said, now we're sort of moved past it. Now we're in the agricultural revolution. Now we've seen mm-hmm. power consolidated. Yeah. To the landowners, in this case, the Facebooks and the Googles and the... So hold on, let me. But we've willingly done that, you know. We have Uh, we have marched along and not questioned fashion, and I mean to me, fashion is fascism. Like that is that in this country, the real propaganda control comes from the private sector, and it comes through the form of advertising and marketing. And we dutifully put on those fucking uniforms, and we say that we are choosing them, but we're choosing them from like four. Yeah, we also (laughs) yeah. No, you're right. Okay, so this guy, I don't know how long this is. But here, it's actually not that long. This guy says, over the past, this is Alex Sin- Singh. Mm-hmm, I know that name. Uh, on Twitter. Um, over the past 25 years, the web appears to have transitioned from a primarily nomadic culture to a mostly agrarian one, mirroring the Neolithic Revolution 10,000 years ago. Hear me out. The simplicity of HTML-only site-building spaces like GeoCities and Angel Fire and cultural artifacts such as web rings coupled with poor search engine tech saw us navigate the web like nomads from point to point, link to link. The web has developed, and so have the skills necessary to build within it. HTML was easy, CSS took a little more time, and JS more again, alienating most and establishing a class hierarchy. Discovery was solved, weakening point to point navigation. The literate priesthood can still build an interface with the web, but the vast majority of people are relegated to the peasantry. Fortunately, quote, fortunately, for them, motivated benefactors have offered a Faustian bargain to make their lives easier, quote-unquote easier. Corporate feudalism has emerged to create centralized, quote, safe spaces for the peasantry to work and play. Attention is farmed and sold in exchange for convenience, protection, mediated self-expression, and an indifferent audience. You can't do anything if it's within their borders. And uh, I thought, and that was it. And so he, I mean, it's a good point, no? Yeah, I do think it's a good point, but when I think about it... As I have watched this occur, because I'm of a generation before we had the internet yeah. and before we had cell phones and all of that. Cars. And I've, I've questioned how the fuck did feudalism, the real feudalism happen? How did one, how do we, like even you see monkeys 
alpha males and you know they end up with somebody who's the leader and somebody who's bestowing favors to his, a bunch of henchmen yeah. and then and there's this social hierarchy there well wealth power sometimes knowledge. I, I think it's a thing that people want they they make them they you put think them so? they they yeah they i think that they have the charisma to that often i think the i think there are people who self identify as peasants and then they need a star to look up to. They yeah. need some charismatic person to look up to who, Ooh. therefore, they don't have to have agency. Yeah. They don't have to make choices. There's some subconscious thing there yeah. where it's like, because if I make choices, I can make the wrong choice. It's better to have somebody tell me what to do and be and tell everybody what to do so that this is all under control. Because, you know, I mean, feudalism, I don't, I'm no historian, okay? So I want to, the caveat that I'm not trying to talk here from a position of, pontification you're not a a feudal scholar i'm just gonna walk around in what i have gleaned about it from high school history your feudal slippers not a lot of people living around a certain area the roman empire's fallen Mm. a guy he's been walking around i don't know he could be like negan on the walking dead you know he's a tough guy and he's charismatic and people just kind of want to follow him because Mm -hmm. he seems like he knows what he's doing Mm mm-hmm and he and 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 really he sort of just channels what they all know what they're doing you right. know he's kind of like a catalyst for everybody else's uh acumen their little skill sets and everything but they sort of need this conduit so that guy i mean they find a, some land and they build some shit and they build some walls around it and they're all living there and they're safe and then some other people come to that and they go i want to live here with you guys doing what you do well, you can. You can work this land here, and you give us some of your crops. Yeah. And if we have a war, you pick up the banner, and you go fight for me, and you help protect this. So there's a – we tend, again, like the way I'm seeing this now is – I it's not as top-down as I was inclined to see it when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Like people set out to create these things. They People step into the desire for this, I think. I think maybe. I mean, that I, I don't know enough about feudal power structures. I think look at ha- today. Yeah, look I at mean, people well, you I mean, know. I mean, neighborhood you know? association. Mm-hmm. People say, "Listen, I don't have the time to make these decisions. I'll vote for somebody who's gonna whose uh, ideas align with mine, and they'll represent my views on my behalf in a smaller group. That's democratic. That's re- republicanism. Like, well, yeah, that's a democratic republic. You vote." That's the, the Democratic mm-hmm. part. And the Republican part is for representatives, right? So it just makes sense. It's a way of, of, of being a, a more efficient because if one person is making these types of decisions, the other person can go and do whatever it is that they're more efficient or more better at. Mm-hmm. Like a blacksmith might say, like, well, I don't... Yeah, I don't we're a body. To... Like, the hand does the hand job and the... <laughs> hand right, job. I mean, like, we talk about politicians as they're all crooks, but I mean, like, there's a skill set in being able to... Talk to lots of people, get a lot of information, and try to make a decision that represents, and then be able to articulate it or pick the person that can write the speech for you. It's executive shit, right? Right, and that's all the president is supposed to be. Well, I think we're now post that. I think we're at a point now where, and there was an article about this that was like, uh, basically, the the president, like the world is too complicated now. There's so much more information than we that than than it's we used same to have. as it has always been. We just know more, right? And, and we but, don't so know. So therefore, what it's, it's not the same, right? We, like there's more information. There, like it used to be, you just worry about America because like you didn't have to worry about. What, I could tell you in the '80s that we were not just worrying about America. This is true, but we also didn't have like we have so much data. I think the problem, I think the problem is that we have 
gotten very good at collecting data. We're very bad at interacting with it and gleaning. That's what I'm saying, insight, right? But right, that so, was my premise to, to begin with: is it's a lack of curating, right? Trusted curation of this stuff, and a lack of a, of a, a individual's ability to discern. But maybe that will the quality of the information that they're right. So if we've they gone, haven't been trained to do that, it's not critical thinking. So let me pick up where this guy left off, and he says, "Let's see." You can tell that that I did the right thing with this air conditioner. Oh yeah, you did. It's totally dried out. He said. We're already in the area of the industrialized er- internet. Humans as cogs, mass homogeneity, total mediation, mechanistic internal decision making, and values. And and I wonder if this is like, well, if we've gone from nomads, geocities to geocities, mm-hmm. to this sort of agrarian where there's some power structure, where there's like the priesthood or the landowners, and you know we're mm-hmm. just using these platforms because that's all that exists. Then maybe we're heading to a renaissance. Maybe we're heading to an enlightenment. I mean, maybe we're heading to a thing where we start figuring out like how to better interact with this data, mm-hmm. better interact with humans and data, and and my, that's my optimistic that's what, hope. Right? Same like, here. It's amazing I, how fast it's. I come, think this uh, is just the yeah. growing pain phase of this new, this extremely positive thing that is happening. That we are being more connected to each other, right. and this actually can create the mythical oneness. Yeah. And we can, and and I, I no longer think of the Borg on Star Trek as being such a horrible thing. Like, why shouldn't we have sort of a hive kind of collective mind? Like, why shouldn't we be interacting that way and co- cooperate? Because that's our whole thing: yeah. is that we cooperate and that and like we beat animals bigger than us with better fangs and claws because we could talk to each other, right. communicate. Solve a problem. Well, we have a problem. A, I mean, we have every we have Armageddon, the movie. We've got all this shit. It's called climate change. We have a global oh, yeah, problem yeah. that we could come together and solve. Yes, that affects all of us. Like it, literally, like you couldn't write this better for a sci-fi movie. Before we go into this, though, I mean, first of all, people aren't don't trust. You know, they because there's so much information, they don't trust. Right. They don't trust that the people f- with this information are, don't have an agenda. Right. It's a paralysis. And they're not no. science deniers. They are source deniers. Yeah. Okay. And I, I felt like, you know, I've been mulling this shit over. There's a lot of science denying going on with the very people who would say that, you know, so-and-so is a backwards asshole for denying climate change. Well, don't you deny the science of eating certain things, drinking certain things? You deny the sci- the medical science that says you shouldn't. Um, smoke cigarettes right you know we we all take the individuals make the choice to deny science right. every fucking day well and this is why and, we need leaders we need lead because like we're talking now about a problem that like individuals can't solve on their own they need entire countries have to commit to a thing or maybe the the planet needs to as george carlin says slough us off like a bad case of fleas maybe we need to be culled <sighs> by this because the planet is going to be fine, as he says. That's his whole... Right. The planet's not going anywhere. It may not sustain human life, you know? And, yeah, I just... I just, Yeah, I mean... But I, we're going to die before it gets to that critical point. It's going to be bad, though. It'll I mean, be bad it'll, for us. The next four years, it'll be really bad. <laughs> yeah. And that's... You know, it's like... Who do we... Again, it's like, well, I don't want to blame anyone. But there were ways to to, to Yeah, and those this. ways... So what I think now, and, and like I'll just use my own personal entrenchment in an addictive behavior, yeah. you know, that was problematic, that I knew it was problematic and people told me it was problematic and people shamed me about it and mm-hmm. people punished me and people went away from me. But until I had a kind of a sea change 
and my consciousness until I was willing to change. I couldn't change and I couldn't do anything different. And it, the thing that worked was not somebody stepping up to me and, and saying, do you realize that alcohol or drugs do X, Y, and Z to your body and they do this and they do that? And I'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know all that shit. You know, it was when I saw somebody, but I, I didn't honestly, I didn't, I was denying the damage part. Yeah. And I also didn't see an, a better So what was thing the sea change? What happened? Well, I may, I got bad enough that like, mm. I, I kind of, I sort of set off a grenade. Like I pulled the fucking pin out of the grenade and like, was like, I got to stop everything I'm doing so I can stop everything I'm doing. Yeah. And I got really lucky that the people I was working for, they, they agreed to let me just go away and get help instead of mm. like prosecuting me. So I was very fortunate. So we'll call that grace. You know, yeah, and uh, grace is I experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness. We so, don't talk about that enough. No, we don't. Grace should we make a comeback? It's it cultivates that's much better ground to grow in than uh, you better do this or else. Well, I think our country right now needs that. Mm-hmm. We need we need some reconciliation. We've never addressed truth and reconciliation. Slavery. We've well, never we addressed it, but not constructively. Um, not with not with. There are so many different. Is that you or me? Me, I think I'm getting. I'm sorry, I'm getting. I'm uh, I'm winning at. Uh, well, let's let's friends. try and avoid in this conversation going into the specifics because the more specific thing we talk about, then a person has a subjective, emotional, right. visceral response to that, and they're not reasoning anymore. Well, can the and you can excuse any kind of fucking behavior if you've been traumatized by something specific. That's true. You know, and um, so we need the internet to 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 help bring grace back and i agree with you and somebody set a better example for me i saw somebody i saw a lot of somebody's who had been as bad as me not bad as me anymore and i was like how'd you do that Mm. so i had to bring the the desire right so over and over again i keep trying to say you guys you're not going to get a fucking thing out of shaming anybody right that's never going to the, the people that believe what they believe, believe what they believe the same reason you believe what you believe. And nobody's going to shame you off that either. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you show something, man, I know you're over there eating that piece of uh, dry ass chicken. But check out this delicious fried chicken I got over here. Don't even say nothing. I mean, this is like Br'er Rabbit, like <laughs> Uncle Remus just sitting there eating that chicken. Damn, this is good. And like then you're like, can I have some of that? Yeah. Like that is really much more effective with monkeys. Positive like reinforcement. Us. Yeah, it's making something attractive <laughs> instead right. of it's incentivizing it in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you know who Teilhard de Chardin is? Mm-mm. You should check him out. He okay. is a Jesuit uh priest from like guys 200 years ago. Yeah. Who theorized he's where we got biosphere from. And the Polly he, Shore movie? That's a joke. Biodome. That's Biodome. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. The term biosphere comes from this guy. And uh, this is such a good thing. It's like, I mean, this is exciting that this kind of, what you're saying is bubbling up and then I'm remembering yeah. this thing. So uh, he said that there is a biosphere and there's a noosphere. The so the bi- biosphere makes sense. Bio life sphere is sphere. It's, yeah, it's this whole layer of living things on this planet. And what was the other one? The noosphere. N O O sphere and that is the consciousness Mm. of humans 
And he theorized that one day there would be devices that would link us mm. and connect us. And it would either lead to a uh, communion of sorts and the next sort of stage of, of our human cultural evolution. Because that's really how we evolve now. We're done physically evolving. We, we finish that during the hunter-gatherer phase. Because, so? yeah, once we start, we still possess genetic mutation. So if nature was able to act on us to the degree that it would favor something you came up with over something I came up with physically, and you were the only one having kids, and because of this genetic mutation, then the species would change. No, we're taller but than we used to be. That's just adaptation. Got that's it. just better nu- nutrition. Real change in the species kind of shit. Done? That's Yeah, because nat- we're acting on nature. Nature's not acting on us. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder what we're going to be if we are all de- desk jobs for a thousand years. Will evolve into nothing. Well, we're basically we can keep any kind of human being alive now. Right. So therefore, the breeding stock of human beings contains a lot of what would have been very shitty genes if you were a hunter and a gatherer. Right. Okay, and that's why we really do, I think, have a lot of disease now. Um, is that we're able? Nature selected for the fittest people. Back but if we then, know, for the, we way more disease then. I wouldn't. I would say you still got sick from bacteria and shit like that. Yeah. But like the people who were staying alive and reproducing, living in a hunting gathering society, had to be pretty peak human beings. That's true, and, and they, mean, they wouldn't make it. Do you uh, know what the average lifespan was in like 30, ancient Rome? Yeah, thirty in ancient mm-hmm. Rome. Thirty. Yeah. So you know, there you would love. Have you read um, Atul Gawande's uh, "Being Mortal"? I have not. Okay, it's a, it's a doctor. He's a physician. Talks about the aging process and death and how we treat the elderly in society and how we treat the process of getting old and dying. And especially in this society, we hate them because they remind us of what we're going to be. Yeah. And also like, it's just, you know, it has a a very long, bad history of how we treat old people. The West, the whole world. Some of the parts of the world really revere and honor their old people and keep them around to teach and raise the kids. And there was, but here's, There's so many theories about all this you stuff. You would love it. Being, it's called being mortal. It's interesting because he talks about like, you know, I think the hardest thing for when you get old, like granted, people are living 50 years longer than they were at the peak of the Roman Empire. But like growing old and dying is not a natural process. A natural process is like getting eaten, getting right. sick, falling. Like those are natural deaths. What is unnatural is to create conditions so that we're getting so old that we just degenerate. But the thing is, is that there are values, there is value in, say, a Stephen Hawking, who is of no use, like, it's survival-wise, right? No, yeah, absolutely. He he can't even wipe his own ass, literally, and yet he was contributing to the culture in the form of brilliant scientific theory. Theory, yeah. yeah. So old people are the same... You know, the wisdom. You I'm know. not saying growing old is bad. I'm saying as a as a process of death, it is an unnatural one. Mm-hmm. It's very rare for animals to die of old age. They die you, unless they're your dog, but then you've created artificial environment. They're for probably. Them to, I mean, turtles could like you know, or supposedly, supposedly, 100 years, 150. Mm-hmm. But 200. But but the idea is more so that you know we that getting old is a is a difficult process, and the hard thing is that. You lose independence. It's mm-hmm. hard to be your... I mean, what do we, we do? Never when... ha- this is what's interesting to me, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but oh. like everything, you, all of these, we, we're never independent. You're more independent. You don't have to go... Someone doesn't have to wipe your ass. 
That's right. You know, like you go from being like, I have live in a house, I have a car, to saying like, oh, you're too old, we're revoking right. your you, license. You lose the, I mean, and that is you lose mobility, and you lose autonomy, and you have to go live in a nursing home where you don't even get to cook. They Whereas, just make you, you know, food. when you're when when I was your age, like my feeling is like I'm physically fit mm. and I can go and do anywhere I want to, and I don't really have to commit to this specific thing right. because I can change and do this and I can adapt and blah, blah blah at this point in my life at 48 I'm like I need to be building the thing like my shell for the turtle <laughs> now because I'm not going to be able to just you know drop everything and go here and do this right. and that I you know I'm going to have trouble getting up and down stairs and yeah shit like that and you know and it really does change the mindset but, but I mean like that's good I mean you can't stop it it's you know the people that are annoying are the ones who get all the plastic surgery and they try to like chase youth. It's like, no, no, no. Like, enjoy youth. Mm-hmm. Enjoy getting older. Like, you can't do anything about it. It's like that thing. It's like, you can worry about stuff you can control, but you can't control that. You you just, you're going to get old and you're going to die. And like, you can say like, oh, I don't want wrinkles. It's like, who would, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it really depends on if you will, like, w- w- if, do you allow this the culture you live in, the right. fascism of fashion, mm. to tell you what's beautiful and what matters, you know, and all of that. Because as, as independent as we think we are, yeah. we are indoctrinated by the commercial culture of this. Sure. And we wouldn't produce such similar, even radical figures if, <laughs> if yeah. there wasn't a sort of a fashionable channel that you sort of enter into if you have a certain demeanor right. at a certain point in your life. Yeah. I mean, these templates have all been set out. It's almost like the fucking Matrix. You know, there have been many, many Neos over, like, you know, who knows, unfathomable amount of time. I think the thing is to get, to to be mind, you know, the, the mindful. Mm-hmm. Like, w- anything that I actually think I'm choosing with my free will, right. if, if that exists, question that. Like, where where did this come from? Why am I so sure about that? And that's what I mean by being, like, the difference between 48 and 28 is I didn't question any of that shit when I was 28. I was like, I am right, and the people I hang out with are right, and we're cool, and we know better. And, like, mom, dad, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You're from a different era. Shit's changed. And they would always say to me, things have not changed. And I'd say, pfft. And now I have I have I'm fucking sitting here, you know, having relationships and friendships with people that are 20, 30 years younger than me. And they're saying, man, the world has changed. And I'm like, wow, I I remember the 80s being almost exactly like this. Really? Yeah. I mean, Reagan president and fucking there were wars and and terrorism. I mean, Ireland was fucking at war with itself, like Northern Ireland. Ireland's changed. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I get it. You know, I think the idea is that, like, change is neither good nor bad. It just Human beings have been like they are for a real fucking long time, 150,000 years. So as I long guess. as people are being born into this world as hunter and gatherers, you know, with the skill set to survive on a savanna, and yeah. they are educated enough to do what we do now, there's, we're still starting from zero every time. We're still right. S- well, that's what isn't that what society is? Society is like... A library yeah you because if you're if you're only trying to live life and understand it and you're only trying to use your own experience it's like trying to write a book and then you die and then somebody else tries to write another book but if you are writing in the same book which is society right and mm-hmm. you're passing on as much knowledge as you can then like collectively we are getting smarter because our 
collective knowledge or collective understanding is expanding and, and, and adding to itself, right? So, you know, it's but not... But that's what, not permanent. No, nothing it's, permanent. It's totally dependent upon the record-keeping sure. devices that we have. That, Like, if you and I were born without access to that stuff... Sure. But that's the idea. Is like, just because we were born in inter- 2018 wouldn't mean that we had it. But that's the internet for me. The internet is like, we're able to put more and more information in one place. We, we can't, can't figure out how to interact with it effectively yet. But, like, that there's this... You can add so much information and understanding, mm-hmm. and from that, and then we can... one EMP will wipe it the fuck out. <laughs> you get a backup. Somebody put somebody it on a wax cylinder. Blows up a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, but that's what I mean. Is like that, you know, it's kind of like I, I don't think I'm ever going to live in the world that I that I want to, but I'm going to try to make the world better and closer to that, and then I'm going to pass it off. Yeah, and that's that's like. There's like two things that I see in folks that are older that frustrate me. One of them is this like they won't they won't step down. Like mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi. Great, lover, mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. Young people. Of people on the right, people on the left, doesn't matter. We just need young people. We just need new minds to tackle new problems. Well, the, or, or or tackle old problems in a new way. The, the this is the thing that I've just recently come up with. This is this question again. What the fuck do you know? I mean, you're fairly experienced for a twenty nine-year-old person i mean you've traveled the world around the world right like you've been to many other countries mm-hmm. you're fairly w- w- well read and yeah. educated been lucky there's an awful lot of people just because they're fucking young they don't know shit and like even if you do know something you don't have any experience with that something it's like right. goodwill hunting you know matt damon versus robin williams yes he can quote chapter and verse this and he can solve these formulas but he doesn't have any actual Gnostic experience right. with any of these things no you're right so experience and, is is just as valuable as you know, maybe more freshness. Well, I, my, it's the combination. <laughs> you're right, and you we just—that's the thing. It's like right. it's not balanced. We don't have right. like my friend was like, I think we should have two Supreme Court. I didn't mean to say what the fuck do you know? No, but just, you're right. You know. I mean, you're right. This my friend was saying like we should have two Supreme Court justices from every decade, and then when the and when they get to eighty, they they have to retire, and then we have two new people that start at twenty. But the neat thing about and we always have two people from every generation. What what I dig now. Mm. And that I didn't dig before, I would find this very frustrating, is that our incredibly weird and intricate system of governance, mm-hmm. where there's three you know, significant power yeah. structures, is the Supreme Court, the, le- the judicial, legislative, and executive branches. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to check each other's powers, um, and but- they're supposed to adhere to the law, right? Now, right now, the scariest thing about Donald Trump is he comes from, and most Republicans have been like him. They're fucking business people. Right. They're always looking for a loophole and a tax shelter because their their eyes are on this very immediate prize of profit. And 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 like the main true Republican platform is laissez-faire, yeah. you know, government out of business. And they could not get the amount of people that vote for them to vote for them if that was if they were. No, you're right. honest about That's that. Why they sign on so they gun, bring in this horse shit about yeah, like you know, life and shit. Yeah. Right, right. They don't give a fuck about that no, stuff. Like They'll toss unholy, a bone. Yeah, it's a total unholy alliance. It's the it's the wealthy elite. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying elite. It's it's the wealthy. It's the They're it's the ruling class, sense. and they have signed on to a bunch of social issues that get them the votes they need to stay in power. So they, they can have. They'll be like, fine, we'll give you like we'll we'll give you all the guns you want. We just want our tax cuts. I right, think, but I think the Democrats. If you can, if you can get totally me elected, different. I'll give you this shit. But my real agenda is this whole other thing. Right. 
You're right. It's a devil's bargain. But the reason I was going here is that the idea, the perfect idea, is that it has nothing to do with anyone's personal feelings. It is law. Yeah. And we we argue and we discuss but and we debate the law. But it's seeped in. This emotion, this human emotion, this sort of like, they don't check each other now. I think um, as far as you brought up the Supreme Court, I, and, and yes, there are... There are judges that have ruled traditionally towards the more conservative, like a much more typical reading of the law and and like would not maybe change any precedent because their interpretation of the previous precedent would not be the same as like, say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's. Right. But those guys still, you know, they pride themselves on their interpretation of the law. I mean, they're almost like rabbis, you know, like reading yeah. the Torah, like. It's it they 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 have a certain level of of um, passion for that right and but look at yeah and so what I think is nobody really unless if anybody wants this thing pulled down the whole thing's going down like if if people on the left like antifile want to say we're we're going to be vigilantes yeah. that means everybody can be a vigilante yeah you no, know I know I mean and and, and so yeah. this it doesn't matter how old you are. As long as you're educated in the law right. and you are really trying to support the underpinnings of this thing that keeps everybody in check. Like, I think there's lots of abuses. I agree with you 100%. There's lots of corruption. There's a lot of abuses. But that isn't going to change because the person's young or old or from this decade or whatever. I feel like it's more like we we really need to, like, really tighten the fucking um, process back up and and like you know maybe change some of the laws I think that'll like, come from fresh people fresh minds people who are frustrated by this what we see as corruption to come in and say great I won't be corrupted and, and we're gonna it's hard this. to know if that frustration is born because you've only been around 20 some years what are you frustrated with like your your whole experience of this has been from you've only been supporting yourself for 10 years right Maybe you're supporting yourself yeah, <laughs> and your parents aren't still paying your bills. And I'm not I'm not in any way denigrating the contribution and the power and the passion of, of the young people. I'm saying let's do ask that question like you think you know what the country and the world needs. It's been here for 400 years, the country. Right. And then and it is the progression of civilization. Like some of this shit goes back to Magna Carta and. You know, some of it goes back to Hammurabi. <laughs> you know, we've been developing this over a really fucking long period of time. Right. And just because you come into it and you get you get to be voting age and you get your first job out of college, you start going, man, this sucks. <laughs> this has all got to go. Yeah. Take, smash the patriarchy. Smash the. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, no, you're right, there's legit like, shit compare. behind it. Yeah. But it's also a very tiny little snapshot. I mean, I think of, we're living in a time. Well. It, it, it doesn't necessarily, like, again, like, these are not new problems, but we also haven't solved them yet. So we need new solutions. We need to keep trying things. And, like, we know that gerrymandered districts are bad. We know that Democrats and Republicans We have don't gradually do it. solved a lot of problems. We have. One of the biggest problems is whether or not people eat or have shelter or live very yeah, long. We've gotten better at that. <laughs> we've gotten better. We've solved some problems. But, but they like, create other problems. They do. But, you know, I mean, we have a collective knowledge that builds on itself. We should be able to keep saying, like, okay, what is and isn't working and, and have an honest conversation and, yes. you know, try new things. But not, hey, you old people, old way, old world, you got to get out of the way. We're going to make this whole new one. 
That's, I mean, <laughs> well, things are... It's a progression, like you said. It is, but it feels frustratingly slow. And I think that's what creeps in as people get older is it changes slow. And I think that we have to tell people, listen, it's going to take time. You just got to be okay with that. Yeah, we might just you Fast might just be doing bad. your little part in it, and you're not going to see the tree you planted no. grow. Exactly. That's in, in fact, who right. said that thing? It's like the the mark of a uh, you know a truly either spiritual or mature person is that they would plant a tree that they will never sit in the shade of. Yep, absolutely. You know? what, and yes, it, everybody has a part to play in this. But the notion, I mean. To tell, like, to say that you're frustrated with how slow this is when you're in your 20s, and I've been around for a little while, and now I don't see it as slow. I see it in operating in a different. I'm, you know, it's like the way the world looks to a hummingbird or a mouse, (laughs) you know, um, or an elephant, you know, and you know, if you really look at the the, even the notion uh, that humans have rights. That, that we individually have inalienable rights and that this is really sort of a thing that we've tried to spread all over the, the world. Right. That's a really relatively recent You're right. idea. But yes. and it's taken a long time and it's still we still have to fight for it. Right. You know? But uh, they're not guaranteed. Rights are a thing we believe in. Right. Right. No, you're right. And I think like that's the the point is that like Am I boring you? You got your no, phone I, out. No, I pulled up a quote. It's a oh. Greek quote from ancient Greece. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. Yeah. Right? I think that's the point is like change, fast change is usually bad. Whoa. Whoops. That's a little loud. That seemed like as good a place as any to stop uh, until next time. Uh, where we can pick up the rest of the three hour conversation between myself and Daniel. And um, I hope you found it interesting, as interesting as I did and as enjoyable as I did. It was a really, really nice, rigorous conversation. That's what we're about here. Conversations, tantric conversations, long ritual, one guru relating to another conversations. Try to just get the truth out. And, you know, a lot of times after I have these, I'm like, oh, I want to go back in here and I want to edit this. I want to take some of this out. I want to control. And you know what? Nope. I'm just going to give I give you guys everything, the whole thing, everything I said. I didn't manage my image. I am as I appear, wildly inconsistent, kind of all over the place, heart in the right place, but sometimes can't keep my own story straight. I'm really trying, though, and trying to learn things by talking to people and trying to have a little fun in the process. So um, I'm glad you joined me for this. And uh, if I've got any new listeners as a result of the little bit of press and style, welcome. And uh, if you like what you hear, you can go to the Tantra Conversation page and make a comment and throw some little Donna, a little donation, a little money our way paypal we accept paypal and uh, also you can just um yeah that's it i'm not gonna say anything else uh smarty pants there because i really would appreciate it and you know more than anything it's just a nice um it's a nice gesture to know that i'm not pissing in the wind out here trying to get a little more regular schedule with this um i don't have any other than this next podcast but the other half of this one with daniel it's
All I got in the can. I mean, I got this one I did with with the guy with Josh, um, my buddy Josh, a while ago. It was like last winter, and I just procrastinated and procrastinated. Now I think it's kind of irrelevant. But then, you know, as we get closer to punks for presents again, I'll probably go ahead and post that one. And um, also, you know, you guys have any suggestions of people that you might want to hear me talk to? You can go ahead and keep them to yourself. <laughs> just kidding. All right, Namaste. Mom.